<laughs> hey, join me in prayer right now. Oh, God, we just love to come here and worship you and just to acknowledge that, oh, Lord, you're in charge. And God, um, I come with baggage, and I think some other people in this room might come with the worries, anxieties of life. You know, and God, there are times when sometimes we just need a little bit of oomph in our step. And, and we know, God, when, when we're lacking, we can come to you. And Lord, you're a sovereign God. So when we have those problems, we know that health issues or relational issues or financial issues, we can just put them at your feet and say, God, hey, you got it. Help me through this. And so, Lord, I know there's people that are struggling right now with a lot of stuff. Help them. Lord, we just ask for your sovereign hand to give peace to hearts that need it, comfort to those who need comforting, and healing for those that need healing. Lord God, we love you so much. You hold us so tight. And we think of our nation. We think of loved ones. Oh, and we need you here. And so, God, as we open your word, we know that we are lights to this community, to this world, to this nation. And so, God, show us how to be those lights. Show us how to be hands and feet to a world that's rejecting you. And God, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, help us not to be dejected in the fact that the world is neglecting you and walking away from you. Help us to be in, injected with enthusiasm and hope because you are a, a sovereign God. And we have something to look forward to that is far better than this place. And we can offer that to people. So help us, God. So give us what we need today so that we can be your hands and feet. Let us rest in you. Let us be challenged by you and let your spirit illuminate us. We ask this, and the church says, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Oh, good, good, good worship. I have to say that a lot because the wonderful thing is we got a great worship team with, you know, we can't, yeah, they're great. You know, our, our God is sovereign and our God is in control. And so as we go forward and looking for our next worship director, we're just excited about what God's gonna do there. So just be encouraged. And, but right now, you know, we got Danny and we got, we got Shane now and, and then our worship team's just phenomenal. And I hear there's a number of you that are starting to, it's going, hey, I wouldn't mind playing. So that's pretty cool too. So we're just excited what God is doing. And, and today what God is doing, we're going to wrap up our study in Jude. Well, I'm going to hope to. I got a lot for you. So if you're taking notes, get your pen and paper out because this is a fun study. There, this is such a small book, but it is packed for us as a church. It is packed for us as a reminder of what's going on out there. And Jude wants to get his point across for us as men and women of God to stand for the truth. And he's sitting there and he's pinning this paper to the church which he loves and, and, and he's writing it and he wants to talk about salvation and the joys of that salvation, but he knows there are people that are coming against it. He knows that there is people that don't like the church, they don't want to see it succeed and they want their own desires to be met. And that's happening in not only in Jude's time, but through the last 2,000 years of the church. And now it's our turn, and we have to fight against it because it has infiltrated the church just like it infiltrated them before. And so he challenges us to stand firm, and that's what we're talking about. Last week, I talked about being equipped to stand for truth, and that's what we're talking about today, equipped to stand for truth. 
Because if we're not, we're gonna be pushed around and we're gonna be, we're gonna be tossed around because we don't know what truth is. Because someone will say they have more truth, they have a different truth, and we'll have to weed through that. And the reality is, is, is Jude points out very clearly what we're to do. And it's, it's said in verse three, it says this, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. He's saying, fight for it. Fight for it hard, earnestly. Don't give in. Stand your ground for that faith that has already been handed down. He's talking about the faith that was given to the apostles through, through the Spirit. That, that faith that was handed down to the men prior. And he's saying, hold on to that. And so we understand as we see that and we understand that, hey, you know, John, he, he sums up the canon of Scripture in Revelations. He writes all the way through eternity past, you know, all the way through. And he says, you know, there's nothing more that needs to be added. Nothing more to the canon. It's all done. And the canon is that group of books that we hold. And some of you are holding in your hand and some of you in your phone, you know. That's the word for us. And he's saying, guard it with your life. Guard it with your heart. And how do we do that? How do we stand firm? So I pointed out three things to you last week, and um, I challenge you to listen to that message, and I challenge you too. It's challenging. You know, I, I, I told Claudio when we first started this series in, 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 uh, in Jude, I said, I'm going to preach this church to nothing because it's amazing what he points out to us. It's amazing that we go, wow, I've got to hold on to this stuff because this is important. And so how do we hold on to it? How do we stand in the truth? Well, I put remembering in the reality of God's judgment. See, this is actually a good one for Christians. You wanna stand firm and not give in to a new doctrine or to the culture. Remember that sooner than you think, you're gonna stand before Jesus. And it can be a great experience. It's gonna be a great experience no matter what if you're a believer. And you're gonna stand there before the Bema seat and you're just gonna be overjoyed. First of all, I'm gonna be so excited that I'm actually there, you know? I made it, you know, I got the go-card, I'm good, I'm get out of jail free, wonderful. I, I made it and that's exciting. But if we have something to give back to him, we have something that we can say, hey, I stood for it. I persevered even in, in the hard times. Wow. And so as a Christian, we're gonna be like, wow, that's amazing. And so it's a joyful thing. But then those people that chose not to follow Jesus, they're gonna stand before Christ too, but at a different judgment, at the great white throne judgment. And they're gonna have to answer with their deeds and for their deeds. And what they didn't do was, was make Jesus their Lord and Savior. And they're gonna stand there and they're gonna say, hey, I did a lot of good things, God, in your name, right? And we, I say this a lot, but I really want us to look at these two verses here out of, out of Matthew 7. Because let it hit home. Think about what's being said in these verses. It says in verse 22, it says, many will say to me on that day, that judgment day, that white throne judgment, they're gonna say to him, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. And in your name, we cast out demons. And in your name, we performed many miracles. So we see that there was a group of people. This means, hey, you know what? In your name, do, do the Mormons preach in Jesus' name? No. These are people from a false church that are claiming to be Christians, Jesus followers. 
And he's saying, these are what they're going to do. And it is a mighty work. Those three things, wow, that's impressive. And that will woo people away from what? The word. Those actions, those, those experiences, those things, it's gonna woo them. They're gonna be like, wow, that's much more entertaining than hearing some guy preach Bible all the time. And so they're gonna be, and then look at Jesus' response was. This is key too. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see that word lawlessness? That is meaning against the word of God. So they're going against the doctrine of God. And that's why we have to understand what Jude is telling us. You got to hold fast to the purity of the doctrine of God the word of God. And that's why we have to understand that judgment is key to, to keeping us from falling away. It's good because we go, man, I don't, I don't want to be in that group of people. And so what do we need to do? We have to go to that next one and we have to remember and be remembering God's word is the only truth. This is what we talked about last week. God's word, this word is the only truth. Nothing to be added, nothing to be taken away, nothing to be walking away from. As Jude points out, he says, the faith which was once and for all handed down to the saints. He's saying once and for all. See, in the Greek text, the faith, that's summing up everything that was taught before. Summing it up. That's what he's saying, the one faith. Nothing else needs to be added. So we remember this truth. And then we see something else we have to do, remembering who gave God's word. See, we, we talked about this extensively last week, is who gave it. It was the apostles. Those that were with Christ were given the word for us via the Holy Spirit. And, and that's where we, we looked at that and we say, okay, it's those apostles and then those that are closely associated with apostles. And so we got to understand going, hey, you know, you know, Paul, he calls Luke's words scripture because why? He compares them with Moses' words. Peter affirms Paul. And it goes on. So we have to understand that these are the words that we live by, that we are called to listen to, not a future word. But it gets even further. Now, if you want to stand your ground, this is the fun part we got to start looking at, is we got to remember what the apostles said. You know, okay, we can look in here and go, yeah, this is what they said. They, this is what they wrote and everything. But what did they say? They said also that there are going to be false teachers coming. They're going to be false teachers that want to knock you off your game. They're going to be false teachers that are going to come and they're going to make you fall prey. And so if we're not on our guard, we're going to be knocked around a little bit. So in Jude, verse 18, he writes this. He says, and they said, saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers, followers of their own lusts, ungodly lusts. Now, mockers, meaning no one's going to, as we see Christians, it's not going to be somebody that's going to go, oh, that word is pointless. They're going to say things like, oh, that doesn't mean it for us today. That's, that's mocking God's word. That doesn't, that doesn't pertain today because we're a more advanced society. Oh, you know, that, that conduct, that moral sexual conduct, that doesn't mean anything for us today. No, 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 that's old school. See, that's a mocking. And why? Because why? They're going after their own godly lusts. Lust for money, lust for power. We talked about that. Lust for, for sexual conquest. You see, church, we have to follow what Christ said and the, and the prophets before. 
and how they summed up our, our moral walking. And then the apostles as well. See, Jesus says this. Look what Jesus said in, in John 7, 17. He says, if you really want to obey God, you will know if, I, if what I teach comes from God or from me. Now, that sounds like a riddle. But what Jesus is saying, so you want to obey God, he goes, I'm God. He's saying my words are equated to God. My, God. my words are God's words. And so you need to follow what I say, and I follow what God says. And so this is what we, he's saying. He's going, you want to follow me, you're going to follow my truths. And not only my truths, but the word that God gave in the past. And those truths on how they relate to us today. And so I, I wrote it very plainly so we would truly understand it. I said, to know God's truth, no, excuse me, to know the, the truth of God's word means you need to follow it. So if someone says, I have a new revelation, but they don't follow God's truth, that's a good indicator that they don't. They're not following the doctrine because they're wanting to invade and invent their own doctrine. So the next one we have to understand is we need to remember why the apostles said what they said or said it, okay? Now, the apostles didn't say it just so they could have a book named after them, right? They didn't say it just because, hey, you know, this just sounds really good. No, they said it for a reason. They said what they said because they want to get the, you to understand that the worldly ways of the world are not our ways. And we've talked on how the church has now been embracing those worldly ways. And, and then we see what Jude writes here in verse 19. He says this, and these are the ones who cause divisions. Divisions where? In the church, in the Christian church. You know, we see now divisions of what's going on, of this denomination believing a, a heresy and this denomination hoisting a flag up above their church that doesn't align with this word of God. And so we see this, and he says, these cause divisions. What is that? Worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. You see, we have to remind ourselves what they said. They, the world, the church is going to turn to worldly-minded actions. And those actions are devoid of the Spirit of God. It's man's spirit. And so we talked about existentialism. That's a big word. I can't even spell it. But it's a big word, and that means basically, it means your experience is truth. Because your truth trumps God's word. Don't we see that in the culture? You know, my truth, you have your truth, I have my truth. I've heard that many times. And that's what churches are doing. Hey, you've got a revelation from God. It doesn't really align with this, that truth. That's okay, your truth is a good truth. It must be from God because it's your truth. That's existentialism. But also, it's sister is humanism. Humanism is this thing that's creeped into the culture, into the church. It's a worldly thing. It's all about you. You're A number one. You're, you, it, it's all that matters. You're the wisest because it's you. So the word of God speaks to you this way. And so we see that even though doctrinally it doesn't sound, sound it isn't set up right. So we see those things. And then the biggest one too, this is a fun one that's really I say that mockingly, that has infiltrated our culture and our church. Mysticism. Mysticism is just this, this glorified thing where you're saying, you know what, uh, this word, I, I, I can attain the ultimate reality of, 
with my experience. My experience is what matters. I can meet God on my level and my experiences. That's mysticism. And we have to guard ourselves because that's worldly thinking and that is devoid of the spirit. And we're gonna talk a little bit deeper about that. But I want you to understand because a lot of people, they say those are all good things, you know, because that's what, that's what convinces people that the word is real. And that's not how it is. That's not how it works. Do you know Paul? He actually had a number of face-to-face -face revelations with Jesus. He met Jesus, he talks about it. He met him and then he was taken also to the third heaven. I haven't been to the third heaven. I haven't even been to the second heaven. The second heaven's outer space. I flew around in the first heaven in an airplane. But the thing is, is the thing is he's gone up there. He had these wonderful experiences and you'd think he would use that through his entire ministry. Oh, I've gotta convince you of what I experienced about my humanism, my existentialism. Let me tell you about mysticism. That's not how Paul rolls. Look how it says in Acts chapter 17, verse two. He says, according to Paul's custom, see, that means this is what he normally does. He went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from what? The scriptures. There it is, church. See, we talk to people not out of experience. We talk to people from this because this is what the Spirit talks through to people. And we see it also, Peter. And I go to 2 Peter in verse 19, chapter one. He says, so we have a prophetic word made more sure. What's he talking about, the prophetic word? He's saying we, he's talking about we have this that has been passed down by whom? The saints. He's talking about this prophetic word. And listen to what he says to it. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark places until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's saying, this is your light. This is what will guide you. This is what you need. Pay attention to it. That's what Peter's saying. Now, did Peter have experiences? Man, Peter lived with Jesus for three years. You wanna talk about experiences? We don't even have all the things that Jesus did. You know, it even says that. If the books couldn't even contain it. And so we don't even know, what did he do? And Peter goes, let me tell you a story that's not even in there. He could have lived on that. But no, he says, we have the word. So here it is, church. Promoting experience over the word. That's heresy. The word is where we have our foundation. And we can grab hold of that. And we can run all day with that. And that's a joyful and wonderful place to be. Now, there's some teachers that will tell you, and if you go to a church or you hear some evangelist come to town or something like that, maybe it's on TV and you're hearing something that's really exciting and passionate, and then they pull out this verse to you. And a lot of people might. It's out of Hebrews. And they love this verse. And they say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And that means they're saying, so God can give his revelation to me just as much as Peter, just as much as Jude. God spoke to me because he's still working in the same way. But that's not what this word means. What does this word mean? See, this is talking about Jesus and who he is and his character and, and his nature. God doesn't change. His nature doesn't change. He is all loving, all just, all merciful. I don't know how he can be all of those, but he is all of it. 
And he didn't change. What that's speaking to is how he works in humanity. I, I wrote down like this. It says, God is constant in who he is, but not in his administration of his work. Think about it. Tower of Babel. Man was ruled by their conscience. So God dealt with that. Noah came in and he brought in what? He brought in government. And so now God worked through government. And then Moses came and he brought in the law. And so we have the law now. And then what happened? Jesus came. He answered the law. He showed us something wonderful, which was the gospel of grace. And then the church now came in. And we see what Peter happened to Peter when he, he was on the rooftop. He had a vision from God. And God said, hey, you can eat anything you want. God works and changes. And we see how God changes as well through the time of the church. We see how we see miracles and then we see less and less miracles as even Paul, you know, talk about a neat thing. He had carried a handkerchief. Someone was sick. Give them this handkerchief. Have them touch it. They'll be healed. And then what happens later? Timothy, he gets a tummy ache and he's sick. Paul says, drink some wine. That's it. It'll help your tummy. You see, church, we see in... Many saints get sick and die. And we see God changing. And he's saying, you know what? You don't need the revelation anymore because it's now been given to you. So we see how God works and he changes. So we got to remember why the apostles said what they said. Like, this is it. You don't need it anymore. But not only that, that it's really neat to know those neat things about God's word. But church, we got to dive even deeper. So if you want to stand strong, I challenge you here. I want you to be building your Christian life. Building your Christian life. Many of us, and I went through this a lot of times in my life, is I would just get to a point and just going, I'm good. I'm good. I've read the Bible through. I, I know it all, right? I, I, I read it through. I got a few scripture verses done. I go to church on Sunday, and we say that's it. And we think it's good enough. You know, you get older and you go, I've been there, done that. And, and the reality is, is the Christian walk is a journey. It is not a standing room only. We are to continue to grow. Because how many people over the age of 50 still struggle with things? Raise your hands, please. Okay. Young people, look, keep your hands up. Look how screwed up we are. It doesn't end. And the thing is, is we have to understand, it's like, we keep going. We got to keep going. And so how do we keep going when, with our struggles? The first one is this. We need to, I got four, so you better write these down. Building on God's word. Oh, well, that's easy. Building on God's word. You want to grow, you got to build on this. Jude writes this in verse 20. He says, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith. Where do we get our faith? Where do we get the doctrine of our faith, the understanding of our faith? The word of God. The faith, Jude writes about that in verse three. It says, hold to your, the faith. They summed up the faith once and for all. This is it. And so we build on that. We have to understand this is where we go to. This is where we get more, as it says here in Ephesians. Let me look at Ephesians with you. In Ephesians chapter, chapter two, and in chapter two, verses, uh, my end chapter two, yeah, verses 19 to 20, it says, so then, 
You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So that's a promise. Okay, so I'm no longer an alien to God. I am in his family. That's a good thing. How am I in God's family? Look at verse 20. It says, having built on the foundation of the apostles, we talked about them, and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You see, we get that information from here. And so what we do is we get into the word of God and we say, that's our foundation. That's where we start from. We talked about how you don't start another foundation. You don't build another foundation on a foundation. No, you've got a foundation is where you, you create your life from. And so we go to that. And so we don't need another revelation. We've got it. We've got everything we need. Second, you know, Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, it says the, the word of God, all of it is profitable. All of it is profitable for us today. And so we can grab hold of that. Now, building on God's word is great, but look at this one. We need to be building with the power of prayer. See, saints, you have to understand that we are supposed to be these people that are, are about prayer. And prayer, I'll tell you, is probably one of the hardest things for someone to learn to do and to get into. Because we like the popcorn prayers, but we need to be focused, and it's work. It takes effort, it takes time, and we've gotta get into this word of prayer. It says, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's what Jude's saying, is we need to be in this. You see, study is good. Study is good, but we need to be praying in the Holy Spirit. And those actually go hand in hand. Because we're, we're in the word of God, we're praying through things and praying through the word. And that's what we want to do. We get into the Holy Scriptures. See, we read the word and the spirit grants us understanding. Because I'll be sitting there going, Lord, I, I don't grasp this part of the word. What, what, what are you getting at here? And that's called illumination, the Spirit guiding you and leading you there, leading you on how you are to maybe apply it to your life without, without taking it to the extreme of way out of context, but understanding what it means. And that's why the apostle said this. It says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The word is, is this word that we were involved with. It's also the spoken word of God's truth. And so this is what we're to be about. And so how do we go in that? What does that mean being led by the spirit or, or being praying by the spirit? There's a lot of different ideas out there. And we have to understand that it means that we are being to be praying according to the leading according to what it's saying. And so we say, what, what does that mean? Well, the Spirit leads. He's the, he's the one that grants discernment. He guides us. He helps us. And so what do we do? He leads us down this path as we open up his word. You know, we experience him in that way, and we see this wonderful truth in Romans. Look at Romans 8, verse 14. It says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You see, the word of God gives me the experience of the Holy Spirit. And you're going, hey, you're using experience. Yeah, let me, let me share a little bit where, what this means. Okay, how many people have ever felt remorse for sin? Okay, good. 
The rest of you, shame on you. Okay. <laughs> we feel remorse for sin. Why? Because we know that God's word says we aren't to commit that sin, right? And so what that truth is then illuminated in us by the Spirit, and we are led to shame, we are led to, by guilt, and then we are led to repent of that sin. See, the Holy Spirit leads us through this act. And so we experience the Holy Spirit from the truth that we read. Let's look at another one. Yesterday, I, I, was, I was able to be with a family, and there was a death. And so, and um, as I gleaned, these were not people that were believers. And it just hit me with serious, heartbreaking sadness for them. Because they were saying, would you say a prayer for the deceased? And I'm like, we got to say a prayer for the living. And we got to say that, and it just, it hurt and I just, I just, and, and why did it hurt? Because they're lost, they're devoid of the true hope that I possess. And so the Spirit had led me to compassion for souls. You see how that works? Because I already knew the truth here. Another experience would be a great one of joy. Man, you know, you ever be around somebody when they experience the joy of, of accepting Christ or when we baptize people? Isn't that fun? If you want to get baptized, you can write on that card. We'd be happy to do it. And the thing is, there's just such joy because they are, they are what? They are, they are expressing their, their found following of salvation in Jesus, and they want to follow him and make him a savior, and it's a joy. And so you rejoice in that. And so because you know that the soul has been turned because you read it in the scriptures, and then the spirit in you leads you in the experience of ecstatic joy in that. That is wonderful. See, that's how he works. That's why we have to understand as we pray in the Spirit, as we're guiding in the Spirit, He gives us the experience that we, you might be seeking. And it's, and it's fulfilling because you're reading it from the truth and God makes it alive in your soul. So we see it there. But number three, we always have to be abiding in God's love. Abiding in God's love. See, many, many of us, we're, we're, we're not necessarily where we need to be in God's love. We're not staying, staying with it. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, it doesn't mean that God's not gonna love you, but a lot of times we kind of fall out of that love, right? We kind of fall out where we're not excited about God and that kind of thing. He says, keep yourselves, and it takes work. And, and that's why we just went through that series, The Nine, about the, the fruit of the Spirit, how it's developed in us. But what do we do with that? How do we develop it in us? We can't but we can cultivate it. How do we cultivate that love? We get into the word of God and we see what it says and, you go, and then what do you do? You obey it. You follow it. You see, when you get married or when you're falling in love with somebody, you have these wonderful feelings and that's what a lot, hap a lot happens when you're a new believer. But we know in, in, a, in a relationship that you choose to love that person. And, and you may not have the feeling, but you have chosen to be loyal. You have chosen to love. You have chosen to act a certain way because out of commitment and love to that person. And that's what we do to God. And so we see in, in John 15, 10, it says this, 
if you, this is Jesus, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Do you see? Obedience. So you obey God. Now, I tell you, when you are going against the culture of humanism and existentialism in the church that's promoting mysticism, and you're going, that's not according to God's word, and you're convicted about it, man, you're gonna be like, a oh, God, I am, I'm gonna follow your word. This church is messed up. I'm gonna go to new life because they're right on. And, and you go there, and you, know, you know, and you just get excited about that, and you are gonna fall more in love with God because you took a stand for God. Man, you know, you take a stand for those that you love, and sometimes it's uncomfortable, and you don't like it, and, but then you do like it. You want more because, you know what? I'm doing this for the right reasons. That's what we want to do, and that's how we abide in God's love. And the fourth and final one is this. We need to be living with expectancy. Expectancy. See, we, a lot of times we don't live with expectancy. You, the reason we keep failing the reason we keep blowing it in our lives is because we aren't heavenly minded. We aren't looking towards glory anymore. We're looking at now as glory. What are we gonna get the most out of this life? And I've talked about this, but we've gotta really look at this deeper because the church is so caught up with, with the now and we're, we're caught up with the world and we're caught up with what's going on on the news and we're so involved that we're not keeping God in proper perspective. Jude says it like this. He says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. We're gonna wait anxiously for it. Looking forward to the future. We, that's where we need to be anxiously going, hey, you know what? I, I need to be there. I need to be looking to God and saying, hey, God, what is next for me? You. I'm gonna stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And you know what? My life, is it gonna be lived for me or is it gonna be lived for my God and Savior? I mean, how many of us have thought about heaven this week? Probably all of us especially, you know, I want that person to go to heaven right now, you know. Uh, let that sink in, right? And the thing is, is we don't think about that too much. But if we were to start captivating ourselves with heaven in a heavenly mindset, that you will stand in glory, that you will stand before your God, that you will stand there in the presence of the one who created everything, what are you gonna be like? You're gonna be ecstatic. And then if you decide this day as a Christian, today is the day that I will stand for truth. And you know what? I might get persecuted. And Jesus said, hey, if they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. So that's a good thing. And you go, yes, the world's not gonna like me. Because why? I stood for truth instead of just going along to get along. And you know what? Then maybe other people are gonna notice because you are that divine tool of God, that light. And they go, what is different about them? Why aren't they falling prey to everything else or falling into line like everybody else? And you're going, because I love my God. Because I, I think of my God as a wonderful, loving being. But not only that, he's one that saved me from my sin. He's one that saved me from my, from my wretchedness. And the only thing I could do, if I truly, truly wanted to do, 
that's worth anything is to love him back with my life. That's the wonder of it. You see, I want us to understand this very clear word I've got for you. All that Christ has done for you should make you want to live in obedience. What has he done for you? He's given you hope. He's given you a good final destination, that's for sure. But know what else he's given you? The ability to persevere. The ability to trust him because he's a sovereign God. He's given you that power, the ability to do dudamas, to love people and to be obedient. I'm not gonna finish this message. I didn't think I would, but I was gonna try. But I wanna read the final verse out of Jude anyway. We'll finish this next week. But it says this, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore, amen. You see what he's saying there? Jesus has dominion. Jesus has authority. He has it all now. He had it then, he had it before, he has it in the presence, and he's gonna have it forevermore. And so it would behoove us as Christians, you might as well follow him with your life. Because you know what? One day we get to stand before him and go, Jesus, I did it. I persevered. And my God is worth it. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Worship team, look, come on up. Lord God, we can, we can live for you. It's going to be hard sometimes, but we can live for you. But we can live for you because you have given us your word, because you have given us your spirit, because you have given us expectation of hope. Lord, let us live for you today. Lord, I pray for this church as we go out and that this world needs you and that this world is falling apart, but we, God, can stand as lights because you have given us you. You have given us hope. You have given us purpose. Lord, we love you so much. Guide us, Lord God, in your word. Holy Spirit, illuminate our path. We ask this thing in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, church.